everybody, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me, we have Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm good. I'm good. I'm always weirded out by the the. Uh, every once in a while, we have one podcast which doesn't have the very strict template of our usual weekends. Of this is a pre-race or this is a post-race, and it means that there's things that I miss that aren't, like, race around the world's probably not going to be here. You're probably not going to say a phrase in a different language. <laughs> We're probably going to mix around the order of things. Uh, so I'm excited, but also a little bit trepidatious. Discombobulation abounds. Uh, also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? I'm also discombobulated, uh, in part because F1 season is over, and yet the news uh, just keeps happening. <laughs> Uh, if you are new to this podcast, a very warm welcome to you. And if you are new to Formula One itself, this is an interesting first podcast episode for you. Uh, but if you want to go back and listen to an entire recap of uh, an entire Formula One season, you can do so. Starting with our preseason primer, episode 178, assumes no prior F1 knowledge, explains how the sport works and who everybody is. You can go back and listen to that and then the entire 2022 season. Uh, and then and then this, our, our impressions of that season. Uh, also, this show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you would like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. What do we have going on this month, Danny? Uh, for those who don't know, the, pay, the the podcast will be taking a little break. We'll obviously be back in the new year uh, catching up with news and we do some of that sort of stuff. Uh, but for our patrons, the show keeps on rolling. We have uh, patron-exclusive episodes uh, continuing throughout December, January, all the way up until the new season. So uh, if you are a patron, you'll be getting Dust to Glory. We're doing the review, the movie review for that. Um, it'll be with you uh, the Christmas week, I believe. Um and yeah, yeah which course. is a it's a it's a um uh, a documentary about the Baja 1000. We don't do enough. We haven't done enough uh, rally. I feel like um, yeah. And even we were just discussing. We don't know of many rally documentaries. It's just I feel like the worlds are kind of separate. Like there's not mm. a lot of I don't really there's well, not a lot of bleed the, from rally. Thing. How often yeah. are we talking about? Oh, but this team principal is really well regarded. He cut his teeth and proved <laughs> right. his medal in rally. And like, right. so this is the weird thing. It, like in a strange sense, rally feels like the most F1 adjacent motorsport in a lot of ways because so much management talent comes through there. And then you it's do the have, pinnacle as well. It's the pinnacle of yeah. that other side of motorsport yes. really, right? And you do have a lot of drivers who sort of famously like try to keep in fighting trim via rallying as kind of a hobby it's not just like you know okay it's, uh, it's mostly our scandinavian uh drivers but yeah uh you know you also have just they how they get to work too. in the morning yeah you know hey look we did love the beast maybe the best rally movie of all time you know starring eric banna <laughs> so there's always that um but yes, and a massive thanks to all of our incredible title sponsors. Kickaha, why no mention? Was it something I said, Mr. O'Dwyer? Did I forget them last oh, week? No. I can't oh, remember. no. I can't remember. At Team Blackjack. Sorry, Kickaha. Sorry it took three weeks to figure out how to say your name. I guess the art isn't around this week. Uh, at Team Blackjack, Michael Maves, Gordy's Army, At Talking Autos, Olivia Evans, Pyrites, Card Castle, Iron Station Studios, TelemetryDeck.com, David Mule, Drew Stewart, Bailey Foote, Abdullah Althani, Jason Chadwick, Abraham Getchell, Enzo and Ayrton. 
Bunnythorpe couch sleep crimes. I agree. Mm. Sniggs, Alex Goucher, Max Voltar, Circuit Demon, Troy Stammer, Humberto Roca, William Romph, Irvine Clinical Research, Lachlan the Madden Man, and Jason Kelly. And my one last piece of um, a community, I guess, uh, um, jiggery pokery is uh, this weekend I will be at the 24 Hours of Lemons <gasps> in Sonoma, motor, at Sonoma Motor Speedway. Uh, just up the road from me here in Novato. And uh, we're doing a little meet-up. The current plan is to meet somewhere near the entrance at about 9.15 because the first race on the Saturday, this is the Saturday, I should mention, the first race, uh, uh, the 24 hours, the first 24 hours or whatever, however they break it up, the first 24 hours, the first section, I think it runs from 10 a.m. to about 4.30 Um so uh, we're going to try and get to whatever the start is, I guess. But I will be there. 9.15 uh, is the plan. Uh, for final details, stay tuned to the Shift F1 Discord channel. If you're a patron, we're talking about it in there. Not sure how many people are turning up. It could be two people. It could be 20 people. I have no idea. Um, and I will also be tweeting it at Danny O'Dwyer on my, uh, once I get there in case we need to pivot or do anything weird. Um but yes, I'll be there. We'll take some snaps. We'll look at some racing and we'll have a good old merry time. I won't be staying all day because I have a, a I have to get to Seattle the next day. So I have a lot of stuff I need to prep for that. But I'll be there for a couple of hours. And if anyone's around, I'd love to say hey. Cool. Well, Danny, as you mentioned, we have a bit of a weird episode uh, this time because the, the F1 season is no more. So uh, we wanted to kind of... Take a uh, more of an informal look back, I think, at the at the season here. Um, answer some emails, uh, but before we do that, we wanted to uh, clue everyone in to some recent breaking news that broke this morning. Uh, it like Bonato, it was breaking for weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> despite it, despite everyone trying to break it early, it only broke uh, this morning. Mattia Bonato, team principal at Ferrari has resigned as Ferrari F1 team principal, uh, effective uh, immediately. Um, just to put things in perspective here, Bonato did uh, 61 races with Ferrari. His predecessor, Mauricio Arrivabene, mm. uh, did 81. I miss him. And the guy before Beautiful. him did did 16 races. I don't remember. Uh, Mattiachi. Oh No, I don't remember Mattiachi at all. Like, like no. I, 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 I certainly remember the remember name. I have no recollection of the era. It's like it's yeah. like the boyfriends your sister brings home. It's like I just <laughs> I'm still thinking about Arifa Bene. What a what a beautiful <laughs> handsome man. Why doesn't you know why doesn't Mauricio come around anymore? Oh, the, you guys broke up. That's, that's terrible. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. Yeah, he could just he could just come hang out with me if he wants. It's fine. I don't I don't mind. Yeah, with the regret that this entails, I have decided to conclude my collaboration with Ferrari, he said in a statement. I am leaving a company that I love, which I have been a part of for 28 years. Whoa. With the serenity that comes from the conviction that I have made every effort to achieve the objectives set. It's the most Italian resignation letter I've ever heard. The serenity yes. <laughs> that comes from... Yes. Um... Yeah, I mean, how does this strike you guys kind of at first blush? I, for me, it's, he's, you can't, I guess you can't really, who else do you point to uh, for, for not well, achieving the, the Ferrari, the, the Ferrari thing of, of a championship winning team? But at the same time, I feel like 
there is so much that is entailed with being a team principal at a team like Ferrari that for me, so much of this centers on like results on track and how uh, race strategy unfolded. And just the, just the feeling of this being a season where Ferrari squandered a lot of opportunities uh, through, through tactics and also through unreliability uh, that their, that their car like had, had decent specs, decent performance, but could not deliver that without, a lot of uh, mechanical retirements, but I did like, I am really stuck on this because the thing is, I think by and large under his leadership, Ferrari has trended toward building a much more competitive F1 car and like battling back toward the front, like 20, what was it? 2016 was kind of the blip, right? Where, cause the fuel aliasing issue, uh, this was it wasn't 2016. Uh, when was that? Um, where you had Vettel, Vettel in it? I can't, I can't remember how 18? many. 18. That feels right, but that was a blip because they didn't have the performance, and the team kind of like, you know, cheated and and did some like sensor fu- like fudging to get that performance. But but by and large, this is this was a team that was not very competitive, uh, was was really struggling mightily with their car for for year on year. And now they're kind of up there and are pretty well positioned. And Bonato is a technical guy and comes from the technical side of the organization. And so it, it's kind of this weird thing of I understand why you feel like you have to cut this guy loose. At the same time, having watched Ferrari kind of real really since the the tote braun uh Schumacher era with some you know you know good years uh now and then to me this this feels like a a very big move especially when you don't have a successor lined up which presently Ferrari does not yeah um the article on formula1.com from uh, Lawrence Barreto points out that uh there were some rumors swirling around a potential replacement of Bonato by Fred Vasseur, the Alfa Romeo mm. team boss, uh, who uh, this article points out also led Renault for a time, uh, which I either forgot or was never aware of. Um, and uh, and as for what's next for Bonato, it points out the article that the likes of Alpine and Aston Martin have been mentioned. So too have Audi. Audi. Yep. That was my So uh, what yeah. if, what if this is like, so, all right, mm. they came to him and they were like, Hey man, it's gotta be rough leading Ferrari. They're not doing so great. You get a lot of pressure. Why don't you come over here for a few years, help us out for, you know, until 2026. And then this is what, this is the other reason this is a bad move. I was talking about this with MK the, the other morning, because the thing about like this tier of F1 is that one guys like this do not leave alone. Like they tend to like go with a cadre of like collaborators that they worked with before. So you lose, like you tend to lose a bit of a brain trust Two, you always have to do like the math on like changes like this because guys with a ton of like F1 technical knowledge rattling around in their head are valuable commodities. And there is a lot of evidence that he does know what he's about on that front. If nothing else, maybe he was promoted above his competence into the team principal position. But Drew, you're exactly right. You have a new player coming onto the scene that is doing a full works team. 
you know, the, you you could have you could have said you know in years past like, eh, you you kind of got like this loose. It's not gonna be such a big deal because, you know, Mercedes isn't gonna be eager to make changes. Red Bull have made their own commitments around engine and powertrains and such. Uh, obviously, Ferrari just just let him go. So like, really, where is he going to go? Uh, now you do have a like a new program starting up, and there's a lot more like there's a lot more places in F1 that can soak up F1 engineering talent right now. And this is, this is the other big chance you take uh, in a, if you're Ferrari in the situation, one, you're having to compete for more talent, uh, you know, just, just cause of where, where that, where that labor market is at. And two, you might've just let, you might've just let, like one of the world's foremost experts in F1 engines go on the eve of a move to new engine regulations. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah very true. Um, I looked up Arriva Bene. Uh, <laughs> rather, uh-huh. rather interestingly, ironically, I'm not so sure. Also some pretty big news for him broke yesterday. Um, oh, uh, I did not realize that he was on the board of Juventus, uh, which is a massive. Oh my god, uh, that's Elkan's other company, Italian. Other, oh right, whose other company? Juventus connected the Ferrari through Elkan, Ferrari. through John Elkan, okay. the CEO guy. Yeah. So he's been apparently on the board, and he's from Northern Italy. So who knows? And Juve is a massive team. Um, uh, he's been on the board for uh, whatever since like 2008 or something. But he's been the CEO since he left Ferrari, which I did not know. Uh, until yesterday. Uh, the entire board of directors of Juventus, including the club's president, Andrea Angeli, and CEO Maurizio Arrivabene, have resigned over charges of false accounting, a statement from the Italian soccer club said on Monday. The decision to collectively resign came after the extraordinary an extraordinary meeting was held Monday after new legal and accounting opinions from independent experts were obtained. <laughs> so Coincident? Oh my God, oh my God. They're starting a podcast. <laughs> so, okay. So the thing, the thing is, uh, earlier good. this week, uh, Fristy to Rankin wrote a piece. Uh, he basically allowed the details right. And, and, and Rankin is, is a good read because, like I mentioned before, he tends to be very tuned into what is the like, good gossip on the F1 pit wall and, and shares it uh, in his columns uh, pretty uh, pretty freely but his whole breakdown is a lot of this is best understood through like through the person of john elkan who is like the chairman of ferrari uh and he is the guy who sort of took over after uh marchione uh passed but so elkan he doesn't say he doesn't sound very italian as if it's john elkan but his mom's name i think is agnelli uh so okay. like yeah but this He's is italian american is he I'm going to butcher some of this is like a major Italian, uh, like industrialist Gianni Agnelli is John Elkan's like grandfather. Elkan is currently involved in like lawsuits. I think mostly against his mom over like allegations that like he and some of his siblings are kind of screwing her out of her share of the family businesses. I think the Juventus thing is caught up in a bit of that. But he also like purged Ferrari leadership uh, when he came in, or or a little bit after, and appointed Benedetto uh, Vigna, uh, who is a electronics guy who is best known for a motion sensor that eventually became the foundation to the Nintendo Wii. 
the Wiimote. But Wiimote, wow. But initially, it came. It was sort of invented as a, uh, a like an accelerometer safety sensor uh, in in event of like car crashes and such. Rob, is this all on a cork board in your apartment? Like wires <laughs> attaching everything. Well, th- I mean, that's the weird thing. Like to understand, like modern ca- like capital structures kind of do need the cork boards right because like you brought up like Juventus, like oh like a river bene is over at Juventus. yeah that's because he's he is one of elkan's <laughs> guys or at least connected with his family uh but now like with the people in the family yeah it looks like all hell's breaking loose at Juventus, and of course you've got the the ferrari situation the other thing is apparently uh vigna was brought in in part to oversee like Every car company is kind of reinventing itself as a tech company, uh, especially as like the move to electric is, uh, you know, seen as inevitable and Ferrari is mm. no different. The idea was maybe Vigna is the guy to sort of lead Ferrari into that era. But apparently kind of unexpectedly, it also turned out he really liked weighing in on F1 team decisions. Like he was sort of brought in to be like, and you're going to like, you know, lead the consumer car division into the future. And he's like, cool, cool, cool. So let's talk about like race strategy and the direction for <laughs> for Marinello. Uh, so the so the, like there's a lot of messiness in the backdrop of this, both in like the the, the corporate structures and sort of the family drama around F1. But then you also have Bonato in the middle of it, and and here's the thing. Uh, you know, maybe it was inevitable that they were going to want to get someone they felt was more their guy in it. To me, I do feel like. Bonato's sort of well-known for not being someone who wants to fire anybody. We've talked about this before. Um, like, he's been a guy to throw himself in front of firings of Ferrari. He never wanted to point any fingers or indicate anyone was at fault for bad race strategy. Uh, mm. You know, even when it was clear the team had kind of melted down on the pit wall. Um, and I think I kind of feel like the refusal to acknowledge that, like, we are screwing this up and we need to like there, there do need to be changes. I think made it really tough to retain a guy like this, whatever else he's doing. I, I feel like to me, it felt like by the end of the year, he had lost the trust of at least Charles. Um, if not, if not Carlos, but like it no longer felt like the drivers trusted uh, the, you know, the, the calls coming from the pit wall. And I do wonder if had he been more flexible in terms of, Yep, we're gonna find a scapegoat, or I'm gonna call, I'm gonna bring somebody in to help me manage race strategy, and just like that's mm. gonna be the guy who's talking to the drivers and the pit crews. Does that change things? If he just been like, I'm a technical chief, and that's what I'm gonna focus on race strategy as someone else. I don't know, but that that to me is kind of the part of this where I feel like Ferrari's hand may have been forced is just how many culminating with Brazil, how many like awful unravelings we we saw. And there never seemed to be a clear answer as to how Ferrari would prevent that in the future. Ferrari on the hunt for another Italian-speaking team principal. I know a guy. Oh, do you? Yeah. Is He's it one for- who's, who's not allowed back in the sport? <laughs> no, it's a... <laughs> it's it's Fabio no. time! <laughs> no, that's a god. Yeah, that's actually, that's a way better. How about a double feature? How about uh, Briatore comes back... Uh, and he's he's uh, uh, he's joined up with a with a with a, G- a German accented speaking Italian who lives <gasps> in a small you hamlet in northern Gunther? Italy. <gasps> Gunter, 
Gunter's time. Can you imagine how Formula Dank would respond if, <laughs> if Gunter Steiner took over from from uh, from Bonato? I'm just I'm just messing with you. Oh, but that would be pretty oh, funny. That would, that would be, be pretty amazing, amazing to see Gunter Steiner. Could you imagine? Well, so, He's the least Ferrari person on the grid. But this yes. is, so the thing is in the Rankin piece, by the way. Apparently, Ferrari kind of going up and down, like like uh, the, the pit row, trying to find someone to take this job, including I go. guess. Yeah. They tried to they tried to put feelers out to Christian Horner. Oh, interesting! And like Whoa. offering King's ransom type monies uh, to people to be like, you know, you're you're gonna inher- inherit a bag of shit, but you're gonna be like generationally wealthy. Got <laughs> a castle in Italy as well. <laughs> yeah, but like, but also, I kind of feel like if they were seriously trying to poach Christian Horner, that kind of indicates to me how unserious this this all is. Like, you know, I th- that's kind of. There is showing someone the respect of like making the offer or like having the conversation. And then there is like just shooting a wild shot. And that's kind of how that feels to to go mm. over and be like, hey, you've got complete command of one of the most successful teams on the grid. You just dominated for a year and you got the complete you speak the same language as the people who yeah, work for you. And you got the complete faith and backing of everyone <laughs> in the organization. Do yeah. you want to come to Ferrari <laughs> where you won't have any of that? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Christian Horner has a job for life. He's the only person in F1 who has a job for life, probably. You know what I mean? Like, he'd have to he'd have to really tank it over there, I yeah. feel like, to lose that. No, he's, he's Nick yeah. Saban, basically. Well, actually, and, Nick Saban ain't Nick Saban Nick anymore. Saban. But, like, Nick yeah, Christian Horner's just wildly safe. Uh, do you put any stock in this being a, quote, resignation and not a firing? No, it's firing. Okay. Like this, like even though even the the phrasing, I'm like uh, sure you know it's probably translated out of Italian, but like even the phrasing seems very much like I feel I'm you know I'm good with my I God. did my best yeah yeah like I did my part like we delivered successful cars. Um, team I feel the in, serenity of a job well done. Yeah, teams the team is way better than I found it, which is true. That is unequivocal. Uh, the the team is in a better position than, than the two good drivers over. Yeah, and 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 for a while, and we'll talk about it later. It looked like they were in the they were in the mix there this year. It wasn't to be though. Uh, well, Danny. Speaking of Danny, yeah, we talked about Ricardo last week. Uh, little update for us here. Yeah, come over to the Danny Club. We got a. It's in oh, Danny's only club. You anyone got Danny? You got a middle name Danny? Any Daniels here? No, just us. Okay, me and Daniel then. Dan Ricardo was not set. Um, or was set to leave F1, um, but he wasn't quite ready yet. And he had been humming and hawing about sort of wanting to be in the mix. He loves F1. And uh, it looks like he wanted to be involved in some respect. And this is probably a good move, uh, all things considered. Um, he is going to be at Red Bull as their test and third driver, which I think is an interesting way to phrase this. Um, and this is confirmed now. This is confirmed. It's great to have bring. It's great to bring back Daniel into the Redbud family. I can't do a Horner accent. Sorry, um, said uh, said Horner. Uh, Daniel himself very excited about this. Um, I have so many fond memories of my time here, but I can't do him either at the moment. God, I've got a cold <laughs> and it's throwing the whole thing off. 
Uh, but the welcome from Christian, Dr. Marco, and the engine and the entire team is something I'm sincerely appreciative of. For me personally, the ability to continue to and be surrounded by the best team in F1 is hugely appealing, while also giving me some time to recharge and refocus. So it, it's it seems strategic. He'll be still around the path. I don't know how involved he's going to be on race weekends, if he's going to come to everyone or not. Um, but at least he's still in the mix if any other people, you know, He's still flexing the F1 muscle, you know what I mean? Uh, if any other teams are looking for someone next year. In a weird way, I do wonder if it creates some sort of like upwards pressure for Checo. If there's like this idea that there is there is someone else here. If you're in, if you don't, you know, he's very much number two driver. Don't mess up. Don't cause too much ruckus here or your time at the team. You know, we have this other guy right here who used to work with us who's competent Um who apparently the only car he's able to drive is our one, maybe <laughs> um, maybe this will, you know, create some sort of str- uh, friction there. I'm not quite sure, but um, happy for Daniel. He obviously wasn't ready to leave F1 and do something else. And uh, if he really wants to stay in the sport, this is probably the smartest move he had on the table. Yeah, Zach Brown, I think, even said as much, like, something to the effect. I just saw the headline, but it was, you know, Brown says Ricardo's best chance of re-entering F1 is is added at a team in this kind of role. Right. Um, all right. Well, uh, speaking of another renew story, Rob, <laughs> listen, I was it's the end of the season. Like, wait, end of the season. Yeah. We're bringing that end of the season energy. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's, there's a story that F1 is examining, bringing in uh camera, like inboard cameras, uh, to screens connected to a camera, to rear-facing cameras to replace the mirrors, or at least augment the mirrors, uh, due to the fact that drivers clearly have such terrible rearward, rearward visibility. Uh, and, you know, this has become pretty standard in sports cars. Uh, you know, there's, there, there's a lot of categories now where you will see, mm. uh, in, you know, in the in-car views, you, you will see the little, the little camera uh, often like with augmented with some like heads up display type stuff or overlays uh, indicating where cars have entered blind spots and such. Uh, but even though it seems like it makes all the sense in the world for F1, uh, Nick Tambazis, who's sort of the the uh, like regulations director of FIA single seaters, uh, mentions that one, you know, these cars are already cramped. Um, there's not, there's just not much room to put new pieces of equipment in them. Uh, so, you know, first you have to make you'd have to clear space uh, for for the uh, for the screen. Second, he notes that. Yeah, these work well in sports cars because they have roofs over them. So it's darker in the interior. So the screen can mm-hmm. be like even more easily readable uh, by the driver. Whereas, you know, in an open F1 cockpit, uh, you know, that screen, <laughs> that screen have to be like lit up like a searchlight uh, in some conditions uh, to be. I mean, I've got all. the a perfect solution. Just put a Game Boy Advance screen in there. You, that you have to use the sun Just to put a Game Boy Advance in there. Yes, yeah, true. Uh, just um, and the other the other part is when you look at something close, your eyes change focal focus, and then you right. look back yeah, up, and point. they change focus again. And I guess as far as the eye is concerned, having a mirror that's like kind of out there hanging off your car, not as big a change, but like looking down basically at something that's going to be like right by your hands in these cockpits. 
uh, could be a sort of thing where where you are now diminishing like the driver's overall like acuity and situational awareness. Are you focusing on the mirror when you see a reflection, or are you focusing on where that light source is coming from? Seems, I don't know. I wonder about this too yeah. with like a like TV screens. Like if you're looking at something in the distance in a screen, that's you're still focusing on something near. You can't. Your that's eyes different don't though. Get tricked. Yeah. Yeah. But a mirror, it is different. You're right. Right. Could you not yeah. put the screen where the mirrors are? They'd have to be super bright then. Yeah. I wonder if there's like some sort of like um something you could put on the the uh uh on on the actual visor that like helps to enhance that signal. Google like, Glass. Like, <laughs> Let's no, do it. No, I I'm not thinking AR, but that's actually maybe not a bad chat either. Uh, probably down the road or something, but I'm thinking like some sort of like a, you know, just in my head, I'm remembering like putting like weird filters or like checkers on the inside of the visor so that screens are more contrasted or something. Mm. I, oh, I, my, like polarization? Yeah, polarizations, exactly. Something like that, uh, that like helps to sort of lift the screen. But who knows? It, it does sound like you're sort of solving one problem to create a couple more, though. Well, I, like, but it also does feel like in the last couple of years, the lack of awareness drivers are showing uh when guys are coming up behind and entering like I guess it's all giant blind spots uh at this point but right. you know when when they're in that like uh what we call like the rear quarter panel territory uh in in a consumer car it does feel like that's gotten pretty bad and what's funny is this this has become a pretty standard piece of kit in modern sports cars increasingly for the same reasons that uh you know f1 is looking to do it as sports cars have you know been changed in part for changing safety standards uh and also Mm -hmm. like their layout has changed for to make them like more efficient and higher performance uh they've lost a lot of uh, you know a lot of the the greenhouse uh of of glass that surrounds the driver and so increasingly they are also having to they will still have like a rear view mirror in the cockpit but increasingly the rear view mirror is actually just a screen where it is rendering the rear camera view into something that looks like it's coming off a rear view mirror uh so that's you know this is this is becoming sort of a standard feature and it it just sort of seems like this is going to become it it feels like in one way or another this is going to be inevitable because as you keep like putting more layers of armor around the driver, uh, mm-hmm. you you have that classic trade off of cars more survivable, also more likely to get into a severe accident due to lack of awareness. Well, speaking of armor, Rob, I mentioned, um, or I think you had mentioned before we started that you know American cars are just getting or. Uh, Cars in general are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger for those reasons, for for safety reasons. Uh, I'm going to link in the show notes an article from Jalopnik um, that uh, <laughs> oh, I'll just I'll just read the headline here. <clears throat> You're not wrong. American trucks and SUVs have gotten as big as World War II tanks. Your eyes have have not deceived you. A modern Ram or F-150 is about the size of an M4 Sherman. Uh, there is a graph in here. Sherman's were article, pretty small, by the way. In by uh, were, you know. Yeah, uh, Mercedes Streeter is the author of this article and has a great graph uh, where you can see the length. It's really the length here that's mostly um, yeah. of comparable size between cr- the, the F-150, the Ram, and the Sherman, and the Panzer IV are actually pretty comparable. Wow. Uh, but in terms of uh, width and height, those um, uh, our, our modern SUVs are about the sizes of uh, the M22 Locust light tank. I'm sure you're all aware. Uh, it was part of the... Uh, 
the Airborne. Oh, nice. Airborne tank. Yeah. yeah. 830 were built in 1941. Wow. Yeah. Dropped them out of, dropped them out of ships. With, I feel like I would not want to be one of those. Today. I just feel like it's a bad idea. It's a tank that we can drop in with the paratroopers. Mm, nah. It, it, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it does make sense when you like consider that like crew cab has basically been is like default now and that was not the case like usually when you bought a truck it was a it was a two-door it had two i got three the seats. extended cab baby exactly well extended cab is still only little a two-door you, you've got that little bit of yeah. backspace but like if you go buy a you know if you're getting a rental or something it's usually a little two-door guy if you're or if you're lugging some stuff but if you go to like a car you know a, a wholesaler now these days it's crew cab crew cab crew cab and then people want to have the you know decent amount of space in the back as well or in the on the on the flatbed and then yeah i don't know it's wild you're right they've just gotten people have gotten used to the size even like even a lot of these trucks don't even have that big engines you know what i mean like lower ones don't actually pull that much but they just people like having big well they don't and they somewhere. don't have big beds increasingly either because of the no crew they cab. don't like you're right. the, the crew yeah. cab cuts into it so like the big argument of, well, sometimes, you know, you need to take a, a load of like two by fours or sheeting or something like that uh, from like the hardware store. Yeah, but you, now, now you're going to have to be doing a lot more tying down uh, because yeah. <laughs> once again, there's just no space to put it. Open your back window and, uh, and poke it sometimes, through. Sometimes you need to take all of Giant Bomb's video equipment to E3. Well, so, but, but this is the thing. Like, the back of a flatbed? Uh, yeah, that's what I did in my pickup truck. Wow. Was it, do you have a cover on the flatbed? Uh, we put a tarp and some, oh some tie dots. Really? Yeah. Can't. That's crazy. Yeah. That's wild. Do you still have that? Yeah. The truck? Oh, cool. What is it? Is it old? It's a old Toyota guy? Tacoma. Oh, nice. What year? I like it. 2004. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Does she have it's a got name? a tape deck, baby. Tape I have deck. a I have a a Bluetooth receiver uh, <laughs> that has a, 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 a mini jack out, and then plugged into that is a cassette uh adapter oh so it's one of those you have to pr- pr- play it's two the items that i have to get to get my phone to work in my cassette in, in, so, my, in my car so the cassette has to be running for those people who yes. don't know yeah this is an old i feel like i haven't seen that piece of technology in about 15 years my, my last one broke and the new one was hard to find <laughs> this is something where i'm yeah. like when i'm contemplating like maybe i could buy a cool car from like the 90s and such it'd be like and you're going to need one of those adapters <laughs> for the tape deck to have music. Yeah. Hey, man. It, it, it's working for me. I wonder that's, if there's one for an 8-track. Cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. Man, I want, I, want, a, I want that trunk DVD player. That's what I'm living for. <laughs> <laughs> was that like your first ever car or something? It was, yeah. That's it's very the only cool. car I've ever owned. That's very, very cool. I like that. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, all right, well, uh, that's it for the news. We're going to switch things up a little bit here and do the emails first. Yeah. Get your thoughts, listeners, uh, before we kind of do our our end of season recap. Uh, so why don't you kick things off here, Danny? Yeah, shiftfonpodcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails, although we will not be reading any emails for a couple of months, so maybe keep them in the chamber for a little bit there. Um, massive thanks to everyone who sent in emails throughout the years. I do read them all. Um, I really value and appreciate the time you take to write them. Um, obviously, we don't get to read out every single one, um, there, but I do read them all, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, uh, I always love hearing feedback on how the show's doing, how we're doing. Um, 
We also get, um, uh, sometimes there's emails that I respond to privately if we can't get them to the show. Um, I hope those are uh, are, are valued in, in, in response. Uh, and also we got a lot of very, very kind emails this week about the show and people saying thank you and all that sort of stuff. Um, I have I have reduced that to one email um, just to sort of like sum up um, uh, uh, some of the nice sentiments that people sent into us and not just have it be an email uh, uh, love shower <laughs> here at the end of the season um, but thank you all I really appreciate it uh, this first one comes in from Braden. hi Drew Danny and Rob this was the first season of F1 I have ever followed and I need some help preparing myself for next year how do I deal with seeing drivers like Alonso in different cars and uniforms next year will these drivers and their seats forever be canonical F1 seats for me what sort of news do I follow in between seasons? How do you all feel about the first season of F1 uh, you ever followed? Do you still remember it fondly? Thanks for the show. It's been a great supplement to the season and really helped me be part of the conversations with my friends who followed longer than I. We had a blast at Austin this year and oh. are already looking forward to doing Mexico next year. That was from Brighton. Awesome. Yes, we are entering the dark winter of F1. How do you guys survive? Do you remember your first season fondly? Does it does I Vettel mean, still drive for Red Bull in your mind? <laughs> <laughs> my my first season was yeah I mean I guess kind of immortalized in in this podcast the previous iteration I guess um, I I just remember being really delighted at learning something new uh, and ha- how much how deep like as soon as I sort of discovered like how deep the rabbit hole went uh, I just remember that being really fun and I guess that's what we're trying to do here with uh with this podcast is like ease that ease that transition for people um i guess in terms of the different drivers and stuff i think you'll get used to that pretty quickly even even drivers like sebastian vettel who were like you associate him with red bull as soon as he switches like halfway through the season you're like oh yeah he's a ferrari driver (laughs) you know or or haston martin driver is the case may be yeah, like especially yeah. like a dude like Alonzo, there's no canonical uniform. Like like he is gone. He has changed teams so many times. Uh and the teams have changed liveries around him. So it's it's just one of those things where like part of following the sport is that you just get real used to the fact that you will have these years where everything turns over. And yeah, after a couple races, you've ultimately there's only 20 seats you got to remember. And it's just not that it, it, it gets pretty easy once once you have the swing of it. But that is part of the fun of it, right? It's like, wow, I can't imagine him being at that team or yeah. like that. This team is like a new color now. That's mind blowing. Like Perez at Red Bull. Imagine that like three years ago. Yeah. You'd be like, what? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's wild. Interesting. Where is Alonzo canonically in your in either of your heads? Or like if there's no one. What's the what is the one that you remember the most? Well, I don't I don't remember him. I didn't watch when he was at Renault, but whenever right. I think of him, I I think my association with Alonso is one of those drivers that I hadn't I haven't seen their full career. And so mm. I think about his like his genesis as uh, like a time before and I know that to be when he won his championships at Renault. And so right. that's who I think of. Like I don't I don't think of him at mclaren with lewis even though i have been meaning to go back and watch that right. season i'm very interested to see that weirdly i think about um, ferrari a lot yeah oh sure I, I okay yeah I, 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 which which i never do with vettel vettel's ferrari years are like erased from my memory it's so strange yeah. 
yeah, I, I think I tend to think of Alonso in connection with with Ferrari. Uh, but I don't know. I also think a lot about those McLaren years, uh, bo- both both stints. And, and yeah, and then it's it's tough to forget him at Renault. So like I yeah I'm I'm you know I definitely I definitely have those eras sort of sort of fixed in my mind. As far as uh, first seasons of F one, it's too long ago to, for me to remember uh, like that one season. But like, I remember that era very very fondly. Uh, you know where you have basically were peak Mika Hakkinen and such. That was that was a great era. And increasingly, I think the thing that frustrates me a little bit about it is I didn't have context for it. I think I would have been a much bigger fan of Mika Hakkinen had I sort of had a better baseline for F1 to understand how special he was uh, when he was like at his like absolute prime. Uh, there was a great commercial, which I totally forgotten about. Um, uh, with uh, it came up on one of the Formula One Reddits with uh, it was like it was Lewis and Alonso. <laughs> Do you remember this one? Um, it's Lewis and Alonso doing like a like anything you can do, I can do better. Oh, like wow. kind of uh, commercial um, uh, for Mercedes, and it uh, it's I won't spoil the ending, but you just kind of mentioned something there that reminded me of it. Um, I'll put it in the um. In the you can put it in the show notes, Drew. It's very, it's very interesting, uh, awesome. especially considering the intervening years with those two. Um, Rob, you want to take this next one? It's got a great diagram, which also we should get in the show notes some, yeah. somewhere. It's one of my favorite new diagrams. Adrian writes, "I've got to hear y'all's reactions to Mick getting told off for doing donuts." According to most of the media, the explanation was that the FIA clear. And then Adrian sent us a video. It's like 37 seconds long. It shows Mick pulling off uh, in one of the tarmac areas at Abu Dhabi, revving the engine up, doing a couple donuts, and then driving back to the pits. And then you hear uh, an engineer hop on the radio and say, Mick, please stop doing donuts. Uh, return to the pits. Uh, CSV or something like that. Uh, sorry, Mick. Re- re- return to the pits. And, and he says, I love you too or something. Back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh. <laughs> So Adrian writes, according to most of the media, the explanation was that the FIA clearly laid out who was allowed to do celebratory donuts and where. The Haas engineer never gives a reason for stopping a tradition Mick has probably been watching since he was two years old. Being a nerd, I decided to hunt down the FIA documentation on this. Sure enough, F1 has a diagram detailing uh, where and who is allowed to turn tire into breathable carcinogens. The diagram shows that, uh, you know, there's the place on the main straight where they pull the podium cars uh, into information. Vettel's car was to park behind them. And then there's a gap in the fence. And then behind them, there's a a place where uh, room was reserved for four cars. uh, The the four that were going to be parked up there at the front to do their celebratory donuts in what is helpfully labeled the celebratory donuts area. (laughs) That has maybe the the weakest logo or iconography to designate donut if they just copy pasted the f1 car five times and put it in some sort of a circle yeah uh and <laughs> continues so pretty clear right well actually the document states any other drivers wishing to conduct post-championship celebrations must do so in a safe place off track and before the pit entry and must then return to the pit lane directly so if it wasn't for fear of breaking FIA rules what then the prevailing opinion says Haas is so cash-strapped they can't risk the potential damage to the car or engine as they still had to complete postseason testing with these cars. Right. Which is true. They do have, like, 
postseason testing in Abu Dhabi and maybe don't want to ride that drivetrain out right beforehand. Um, but obviously, lots of the other teams did, right? Alonso, I think it was Alonso did it, and the, and the engineer came over the radio and said, "Oh, we lost your data there for a second or something." So one of them did it. I mean, I, in hmm. my head, it was Magnuson, <clears throat> but I doubt it was, considering they're giving it a bit Mick here. Um, yeah, but but yeah, just. Yeah, I, like I maybe it's the cash trapping thing, but also again, uh, the issue is that like what seemed to be less that like yes, the 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 expense of the incidents they had like Haas definitely was cash strapped, but also they just had a part shortage, and I could see that being you know effectively it's the same it, you know you end up in the same place of we can't damage this stuff because there is no there's no spare anything. Uh, and we need your replacement to be able to go drive this car uh, this this weekend. Yeah, I think it's mostly down to the engine. I think it's I think donuts are pretty hard on the engine um, than maybe carbon fiber stuff. But yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly right. Uh, Drew, you want to take this one from Adam in Winterpeg? Yes, Adam writes. I miss having Nikita Mazepin on the grid. <laughs> having a villain on the grid made watching Q1 exciting to see if he could ever break his streak of never out-qualifying a running car. Spoiler alert, he never did. Do you guys miss having the elaginous oligarch progeny in F1? Do you think we'll ever get to heal, get a heel to root against again? Uh, I think we definitely will. Uh, for some people, they are, they're already there. Um, right. but I don't miss Nikita Mazepin. <laughs> I, I, you know, it is fun having a bad guy, you know, a villain. Um, but he, his presence really bummed me out. Oh yeah. In, in a way that, uh, I guess no other driver really had, you know, I don't know. Do you guys feel that way? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. There are paid drivers and then the, the, I think, the 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 nature of a lot of paid drivers is sort of obfuscated, but there was something so, like I don't know, James Bond about him. Like, like he's like, a paid driver. His dad is an oligarch and close to Vladimir Putin. Yeah, uh, and he like sexually assaulted someone. Like well, before it's the just season. this. Yeah, it's yeah just a, like, and he's like, not very good. No, he's not. No, he was not very good. That was also an issue that he had. I mean, you know, he wasn't terrible in the lower divisions, uh, but he obviously just didn't make the F1 stock. Um, have you seen the Instagram post he did? The no. wild Instagram post. Have you seen like it? Recent? Yes. No. Like after Abu Dhabi. No. Okay. Can, can I read this to you? Yes, please. Okay. At this weekend's F1 race in Abu Dhabi, nice to be here as a guest to see old friends. Got me thinking about some words of wisdom I can share with Seb, Daniel, Nikki, and Mick as they get ready to move on. <laughs> oh, so good. here's yeah. So here's what awaits you in the five stages of departing the stable. Stage one, denial. You will find yourself drift uh, driving circles around your apartment building. Don't make the mistake I made. Turn on your stopwatch. It's entirely possible that another F1 team will be interested in your results and you won't have to endure the next four stages. Stage two, anger. You blame everyone but yourself for having to leave F1, particularly the Drive to Survive film crew. You watch the races obsessively and yell at the screen. Stage three, bargaining. You hold a press conference where you put on a brave face and thank the team principal who fired you in hopes that your cheerful smile and charm, natural charm will get you a seat in a new team. Stage mm-hmm. four, 
Depression. Drink, party on a yacht, sleep it off, gain five kilos, repeat on endless loop. This will not be an easy stage to get through, but your friends will enjoy it. Stage five, acceptance. Congratulations, you've reached the final Grand Prix of being shown the exit. You stop obsessing about F1 and start thinking about your next steps while keeping yourself in shape and keeping the door open for a return. At Sebastian Vettel, totally respect your climate initiatives. Fucking tell tell your dad. I'm sure they will uh, be of great use, uh, not only to the racing community. Daniel Ricardo, I know you will always keep your sense of humor. I predict great things for you in stage four, where you can drink all kinds of things out of your shoes. Be creative. Nicholas, thank you. The team and fans can look optimistically into the future. No doubt you will surprise us. Mick Schumacher, we grew up in the sport together, and I wish you luck going forward. I'm sure we will get a lot of likes from Pierre Gasly. Peace and love to all. I don't even know what to say, <laughs> but it is very bizarre. Wow. I don't think he's at stage five yet if he's posting stuff like he this. He might still be in stage two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he still, he Perhaps. still seems kind of angry. Yeah. Seems, oh my God, this guy sucks. <laughs> it's like I, I found a lot of that actually quite like funny. It's kind of funny um, though. Like, like, it is kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> you find yourself right timing your laps around your apartment building is pretty good uh, it's, uh yeah yeah so i i think th- there may not be mazepin was was an outlier insofar as uh in addition to just like totally smoking his reputation before he walks in the door uh with the video of him groping that woman uh there is the aspect of he just was not ready to be an f1 like it was just so clear that he was not like fit on the track and he did not seem to be able to make strides in that direction uh he might never have the maturity right to do it well and also like you know it's a it is a different car like some guys just can't come to grips with the jump like you know formula two can like it's supposed to prepare you up to a point but there is still a jump that you have to be able to make and and he's a bigger jump between f2 and f f1 and f2 for sure yeah is f3 and f2 and he just he just didn't uh you know i think we will get like uh, f1 always has dudes like this but like they tend to be dudes like stroll who it's like yeah he's there because his his dad like has a fortune and he's a passable f1 driver made some egregious mistakes especially toward the end of this year but like is passable or you do you've got dudes who like have major uh sponsor backing like pastor who become a joke because like they get tons of forgiveness for all their like horrible slip ups. But like, again, on his day, you saw things in past where it was like, man, if you could ever hook it up to hook it all up, mm. he would be a great driver. He just never could. Um, so I think like F1 will always supply once. some kind of weird rich kid who you're like, should this guy be here? And the answer will be no, but It'll be kind of fun to watch him sort of struggle to to sort of stay afloat. Mazepin, I think, was less fun because like worse vibes for sure. And yeah. then also he couldn't struggle to stay afloat. He just sank like a stone. And it was 20 yeah. races of watching this guy plummeting into the Marianas Trench. Mm. Uh, I think I've got this one. Uh, from William during the summer break I went back and listened to Alt F1 from the start because I wanted to understand how Nico Rosberg managed to beat Lewis Hamilton in equal machinery over those three seasons Danny frequently mentions how they're seeing a more mature Hamilton 
but he doesn't explain what he this actually means. Could you please explain what Hamilton was like or what the media presented him as when he started? Does Hamilton's trajectory from rookie to dominant world champion differ from Verstappen's? I thought this interesting just because... Great question. Um, yeah, especially given where we are with Verstappen and obviously some of the um, conversations that we've been having and people have been having about um, him or his fight with Lewis and also with about conversations people have been having with Lewis. Um, my recollection of this, there's sort of like two things here that spring to mind and this is a long time ago and also on the couch this and saying that I am not an F1 expert now and I certainly was not when we were doing Alt F1. But I remember there being... Sort of. First of all, there is there was a prevailing narrative within F one that Lewis was a loose cannon, which was also you have to be sensitive to the way in which press report on black athletes, especially like predominantly white sports. And I think there was a lot of that going on then, um, where Lewis was sort of like um, uh, pointed at as more of a loose cannon than he was perhaps oh it was a nightmare um like what'd you say it was a nightmare like because right. and i think it permanently changed his relationship with his own celebrity because remember in that first like particularly around his first championship he really enjoys that first flush of like i'm an international celebrity um his, yes. like at this point like famously i think the only relationship that has ever been really public around him was like dating uh nicole scherzinger N- N- uh, yes, from, like, from the Pussycat, Pussycat Dolls. dolls. Right. Yes. But also, like, was clearly out there. He was an early sort of adopter of social media and was out there, like, partying and, and just sitting he around did a lot. A lot, of, lot yeah. of British television. He did a lot of celebrity TV stuff. He was, yeah. And yeah. immediately, there was the narrative of, like, is he letting go to his head? Has he, has he maintained focus on F1? And what's so rich about it is, you know, again, you, you go, like, go and listen to uh, Beyond the Grid podcast where you hear from the old drivers no like very few people were all that serious about f1 like a lot of dudes were like total party animals uh you know drivers who had their had their seats for years and yeah occasionally guys got got for that right like eddie irvine is clearly a guy who kind of lost the confidence of uh i think ferrari in part because of uh extracurriculars and just an overall vibe but yeah i would say like hamilton it always felt to me danny like the fact that he had instantly emerged as one of like the biggest sports celebrities in the world and one of the most charismatic was held against him, even though there was no evidence that like there were no bad headlines around him at all. No, I don't think he did. He did anything. I, I'm struggling to remember him doing anything that was like objectively like I'm talking off the track here. Uh, like, right. yeah, in any way you know hot-headed or whatever but he was hot-headed on track yes so there was this <clears throat> so that, that you had this sort of like um uh like conflict where there was the sort of external narrative which also he was a british uh c- celebrity uh also like a non-white british celebrity and like if you, the tabloids in england are brutal if you're not like part of the you know, if you're not a, a a glorious white lion or whatever, right? I, I, I tend to see this a lot when I watch soccer, for instance. There's some football players who will never do anything bad because they look like quintessential English football players. And then there's ones that don't look so much like that. And they'll always be sort of side-eyed or talked a little bit differently. Um, so there was this conflict between, like, the press was probably treating him unfairly and creating this narrative about Lewis being a hothead, uh, off the track and with the way he lived his life or the way he presented himself but then on the track 
there was like a lot of those early seasons were mad. Like he won how the first season ended was obviously a bit of a disaster and sort of you, you know could argue. Yeah, 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 you could argue he like lost it. He lost it himself. He did. Um, like I mean, like yeah. he 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 did. He, right. And yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. And then the next year, by the grace of God, he won the championship in a similar sort of um, scenario. Yeah. Um, and then so, has a number of bad years. Uh, yes. And I so I always, my take on him was always I don't think he was ever nobody ever expected him to blow up as fast as he did. Alonzo sure didn't. Like 2007 was wild because he emerges on the scene and then almost immediately is in this like weird power play shootout with a driver who is notoriously one of the most like vicious internal politickers in the sport. Right. And then yeah, you know, the next year he wins the championship and becomes a young star. And then McLaren falls off. Uh, you know, we are we are in the throes of, uh, you know, the we're in the throes of like the Vettel era. Uh, but I always associated those years, you know, where Button comes over uh, to mm. to McLaren. Hamilton, because I, I, I remember I, I followed him pretty closely in the, those years. He just seemed really down for for a number of those years. Like the the fact that all the success went away because the car wasn't very good seemed to hit him very hard. Um, and so I I always felt like there was there was kind of a, a crucible this, effect happening yeah. in those years. And this was also when like his dad stopped coming, stopped well, wasn't his stopped being his manager. Kind of, yeah, he had to kind of break kind of that break transition, off that relationship. To, yeah, right. His dad, yeah, and his dad wasn't around for a little while then. Like his brother used to be around all the time yeah. as well. Is it An- Anthony? Yeah, I want to say. Well, and I remember him talking. I think at I think at Canada after Button like drove that incredible race. Oh my god! I gosh, want to say yeah. they interviewed Hamilton, and he just like kind of got hung up on the detail. Like he kind of envied that. He was learning things from Button. He kind of envied that, like Button, always had his dad around. Uh, the implication right, being that, like, for for various reasons, like Hamilton's dad no longer was, and that is that has all come back. But I think mm. he went through, you know, in terms of public prof- profile. Now he's a very private guy who like yeah. has a much, lot of business. much more stoic. I would say much, in terms of how he presents his himself outwardly to people. Right, but like just no, none of the like typical celebrity shit anymore. Like it's very much he's like kind of a guy who like retreats into, you know, his private grounds in Colorado. You will see a glimpse of him in the box at a Broncos game, uh, and you know, Broncos post, country. Let's ride. Post pictures of his dog on Instagram. But, <laughs> yeah, not not his private jet. Yeah, right. So so I Which think he like, sold now. A number of things changed, but I think as a driver, <laughs> even beyond that. Yeah, he became a guy who just didn't make those mistakes anymore. Uh, you know, right. the 2007, 2008 things like things could slip away from him because of mistakes, because of misjudgments. And then I think, you know, the mark of the Mercedes, the most dominant years of his time at Mercedes, he's kind of like the Terminator where he just keeps coming and he does not make mistakes uh, in that way. How Rosberg beat him is interesting. Um, I think gone his head a little bit as well. Over the course of two years, like I think, I like you almost have to view it as like a best of three campaign that yeah, they fought, and like yeah. Rossberg won one of them, but they were like yeah. they were tough, they were tough campaigns, uh, and, and I think part of it was yes, he got under Lewis's skin uh, and kind of got him in that place where he would make mistakes again, and but in doing so, 
it it burned Rosberg out. Yes. Rosberg was the one who was done with F1 after that. And yeah. in interviews afterwards, you can hear him say it. He's like, I had to be a different person for those years to do it. The final year was the hardest year ever. It was not fun. I got my championship. It was at the expense of my family life, my relationship with my wife, my um, my my mental health. Like, I did it and I got out. I, I was not going to do that again. So it just shows you even the, le- the level that he had to get to to do it for one season. Um, yeah, interesting. There will be movies made about Hamilton, I'm well, sure. He's working on um, one. He's, he's sold, I think oh, really? He's his sold, own one? I think he sold the rest oh, of his right. life story and there's a biopic. He has his own bi- uh, production company, actually, I think, yeah. Um, I think he's helping on that Brad Pitt F1 thing as well. Madness. Okay, I'm going to take this uh, last one then um, from Becca. A, a quite a nice uh, email. Um, uh, thanks for all the lovely emails about the, uh, the year that was in it. And this is perhaps a nice little summary of a lot of those emails we get. Uh, my name is Becca and I'm based in Toronto. My partner Eugene and I have been listening to your podcast since 2020 after becoming F1 fans during the 2019 season. It's been a wonderful to have your insight over the past few years, but I wanted to send you an email to thank you uh, for a particularly fun 2022 listening experience. Although the 2020 21 season provided us with plenty of on-track drama to talk about. We had many moments off-track throughout 2022 that you guys dissected with sorry, dissected with both scrutiny and humor. In particular, I was very much uh, I very much enjoyed listening to Rob's insights this year and genuinely missed his technical analyses when he wasn't available for an episode. Me too. Um, but also appreciated his uh, many bursts of shock and enthusiasm. Most recently, hit me with that transcript, Drew, as he eagerly <laughs> rubbed his hands together in the background following the Sao Paulo Grand Prix. Um, but there are a few uh, f- uh, specific highlights that I wanted to touch upon as we close the door on another season. Here's, to, uh, here's a few treasured memories I'll take with me into 2023. The discovery of the e-scooter championship, which I most definitely <laughs> checked out briefly. I forgot about that. Did any of you oh, guys yeah. check out the e-scooter thing? I skimmed through uh, their YouTube, <laughs> like one of their you know YouTube live streams. Yeah, I re- Yeah, me too. It seemed... A lot of people didn't make it off that ramp very well. I remember a lot of people like just instantly owned themselves on coming off the ramp. Yeah, there you go. Um, back to the email. Uh, saying goodbye to Camping World Trucks. I feel like mm. I've gotten used to Camping World Trucks changing their name at this stage. Like, yeah, they, it went away and then it came back and now it's yeah. going away. It's going to be the 2023 NASCAR tr- Craftsman Truck Series. Ugh. I preferred Gander I Mountain to that. That's it's true. Something like that. Uh, Danny being offended by faux Irish accents. Uh, Danny saying, ooh, my second favorite ring in a German (laughs) accent during Race Around the World. Episode 206 is very specific. Uh, For DTM at Hockenheim Ring in Baden-Württemberg, a moment that literally made me burst out laughing and still does as I write this email. Um, uh, (laughs) Ooh, my second favorite ring. Uh, The many, many uh, very amusing NASCAR sponsorship race names food coins oh my god the food coins food Shit. coins we heard apparently food coins are ubiquitous that's what we've learned yeah. over the year food coins Oof. are just like every you have to buy you have to buy your food and script when you go to an f1 race apparently um and of course rob smashing his stovetop when trying to make artisanal cocktail ice hold it in your hand next time rob and tap with a spoon <laughs> 
I think overall, I appreciate the detail and passion you brought to each episode, even when we hit our mid-season slump. Uh, the many news stories and ongoing driver speculation provided us with long discussions, which we were interested uh, in listening to. Thank you. I hope you all have a relaxing winter break. We will look forward to joining you again in the new year. Finally, I leave you with a couple of videos, which I watched, uh, from the Honda Indy in Toronto this past July, when we got to see the Phoenix himself race his yellow DHL car. We had attended the Indy just a few times prior to 2020, but this was our first time with Stan Steets and a driver to cheer for. Just like Rob said at the beginning of the the season, don't sleep on IndyCar, you guys. Cheers and see you in 2023. And that was from Becca and Eugene. Thank you both very much. Thank you very much. That's that's cool. That's, uh, yeah, thank you. That's very fun to hear. Yeah. Nice to nice, always nice to hear what it's like on the other side of the, um, the the listening the listening on the other side of the podcast. I find it very bizarre that I mean I uh, particularly me because I'm very um I'm I'm not I'm I don't know maybe I'm not I feel like I'm self deprecating I feel internally like I am um I know uh, Rob does has incredible technical analyses and Drew does an incredible job of putting this whole show together every single week and keeping us uh, on time and, and, and doing everything. But I always find it, um, I find it very bizarre that this is like a thing so many people listen to, if I'm honest. Like, we started this as a sideshow on a different one of video game website. Um, almost by definition, it was supposed to not have much of an audience. So um, <laughs> uh, thank you all for for listening. And um, yes, I, I I do hope that you, you enjoy it and you f- find what we do entertaining and at the very least you understand how much work that goes into it um uh, that that we care at least that much and, and thanks uh, for pointing emails. out some 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 great episode uh you know some great um uh, moments from the f1 season you know it's uh it's I, I don't know i as we drift into the season review portion of this this episode i think going into this my overall impressions of the, of the season were kind of middling yeah um you know, Verstappen having had this one in the bag for a while, uh, no real challengers kind of coming to the fore after the first handful of races. Um, you know, I, I think the the biggest surprise here was Mercedes' lack of, of dominance. You know, the, the, the new regulations were sure to throw some teams for a loop, but they were kind of the last ones that I would expect to see falter. And uh, yeah, no one besides Red Bull really, really stood up. Um, so... Uh, but there were, you're right. A lot of, a lot of fun things happened. A lot of twists and turns as, as formula one is want to do. So, um, what do you say? We just kind of get, maybe start with Danny, your, your kind of overall impressions of, uh, of the 2022 season. Yeah. I think, I think, I I really enjoyed Verstappen and Leclerc in those early races. And I'm, and I think one of the things I enjoyed the most was that, Verstappen, in a not unlike Rosberg type of fashion, really did have to drive dirty last year to beat Lewis. Um, and I, I don't, I don't say that with with criticism of Verstappen for having to do it. I, I think Lewis Sometimes puts you're you in that fight, position. and you got to fight like you have to drive that way. One hundred percent. And I think, especially, I think I'm also maybe a little bit more forgiving, seeing just how much easier some of those overtakes were in these new cars, like. Those cars last year was incredibly difficult to get those overtakes done, and sometimes he d- did have to send it. Sometimes he, you know, he he flirted with 
good driving rules or whatever you want to call it but ultimately you know Lewis would have done the same in the same situation and you know he had he had to like you said he had to you know fight the fight that was there for him I really enjoyed the start of the season because the new cars and also probably in understanding whose opponent was someone like Leclerc who's very very fair like Leclerc reminds me of a sort of a later stage battle where you don't get into these nasty sort of like turn by turn fights you you end up having like good racing over the course of a nice part of the track and for me at least um I saw a lot of that in Jeddah and Bahrain and it was just a, a shame that we didn't have I was looking forward to there being you know a nice uh battle throughout the season I'm, and we just I will just say to that point about Leclerc, I wonder if that lasts because the funny thing about this season is it felt like I would say for three races, I was primed for like, we got a real Red Bull Ferrari shootout here and this is going to be really interesting. And then, you know, I want to say like, even before it really hit Ferrari themselves as badly, Ferrari engines started letting go up and down the grid and then Ferrari started having these reliability issues and I feel like it was like we had some great sporting battles between Max and Charles. And I think there's an alternate universe where that ends up being a really interesting, fascinating title fight. I do wonder, like it wasn't too long before the pressure was just way down. Like it was just, it was so there was kind of an inevitability to Red Bull and to Max this year. And I do wonder if it stays closer. I do not think Charles and Max would have raced each other like they did in Bahrain. Uh, yeah, throughout perhaps. the whole year. I just I I just like I just don't because other drivers have talked about this. Like it's a long, grueling season. You're always looking for that mental edge. The intensity gets too high. And I I think kind of one of the, the things that emerged early is that we had a lot of like promising alternate like versions of the season sort of appear early. And then Red Bull so quickly got their reliability issues under control. And everything just seemed to keep keep breaking bad for Ferrari. Uh, we also had all that nasty porpoising at the start of the season, which is thankfully kind of all in the rearview mirror now. But um, there was an interesting video where they had uh, Russell and Lewis looking at photographs of, of the year uh, on the Mercedes YouTube channel. And um, all they were talking about with those first pictures was just like how bad their backs felt. <laughs> oh like wow! A, I'm glad. I'm glad that's all. That's all um, done and dusted. Uh, for me, the season, the things that stand out are, are are the moments, which happens in these seasons where you don't have these beautiful arcing narratives, you know. But we did have moments like Signs getting his win in Silverstone, like Magnussen getting his pole, um, George Russell winning in Brazil. You know, those those are the moments that you end up sort of loving the sport for because they present them to you. Sort of like last year where Gasly had, had um, uh, was it last year I think where Gasly won at Monza. Um, you know those those are the ones we'll remember for years and years. Like you said, when Button won in Canada, you know, like cool races like that. Um, uh, and that was the best Silverstone in years. There was some great racing at that Silverstone. That was the one where Hamilton did the double overtake of Leclerc and Perez, and then they both overtook him again five turns later. It was just like absolute bananas. Like we did have good races. I the 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 w- summer was rough though. The summer was was pretty boring. Uh, yeah. Although there were it was a lot of fun 
news stories uh, in this in this season too. You know, starting from the beginning, you know, Magnuson in at the last moment. Uh, you know, right. when uh, when Eurokali cratered uh, after the invasion of Ukraine, uh, the Piastri drama. Oh, that was so good. Um, one of the most uh, absurd, uh, like. The chaos that spiraled off of Sebastian Vettel deciding he was done uh, was 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 incredible. It crossed, it crossed the lines of sports, right? It, like it, like IndyCar was somehow like still slightly like experiencing turbulence because uh, of because of this issue, but yeah, the the uh, Alonso kind of like a cat just staring at Alpine and just shoving. <laughs> shoving the glass off the table uh was what was incredible and then yes uh alpine trying to force piastri uh to honor a contract that he had never signed uh and that was basically a term sheet uh was one of the wildest damn things yeah um some key fia personnel we got a new fia president uh michael massey was kicked out uh, some shakeups at Aston and Alpine, Otmar to Alpine, Prost out at Alpine, other great, you know, pre-season drama. Uh, Mike Crack <laughs> in at Aston. Love it. Um, and a lot of, you know, fun rule stuff. Red Bull breaching the cost cap. Um, you know, the, the Porsche Red Bull deal. Andretti trying to to join the grid. I guess those aren't rules, but, you know, um, uh, teams and, and stuff. Um, a lot of, I guess, social things to talk about. The the whole Saudi race happening after a missile attack. Oh my God, I forgot remember about that. Remember the missile yeah, attack? I remember. You could see it during practice. That was bizarre. Um, yeah, right around the time that the, especially because we were so primed for all that with the Nikita Mazepin Ukraine stuff happening just there yeah. as well. It was like a, the, the, um, what's the word? Uh, the, when you when one thing you do one thing and then but this one okay over here is okay the well what about ism whatever yeah does it yeah my my brain isn't working today um yeah it's just it, it was so apparent um just how ridiculous it was that we were in saudi then at that stage um yeah, yeah i say this as the world cup is going on in qatar as well so yeah we got a new racetrack we got miami hypocrisy thank you okay yes yeah. um we did Miami. Apparently, fun Miami to go and to, and it's fake water, <laughs> which was yeah. really fun. <laughs> You're right. We had the fake, the fake, the fake marina, which is my new favorite marina. Well, God, you almost just put that as like, <laughs> yes, F1's been growing in popularity. This year felt like the explosion. Like, wait till Vegas. Yeah, next yeah year that's the thing. Like, like Miami was already huge, and dude. now Vegas looks primed to be ridiculous. Um, and we, we we talked about our misgivings about some of what this might herald for the sport and the types of venues it it pursues but this did feel like even more so than last year this felt like the first year where it's like oh like people just follow f1 now right yeah yeah um we drank daniel ricardo's wine we did it was good on the the patron feed uh hamilton found a sega genesis in montreal <laughs> he did and he played uh Ayrton senna GP That's right. I'm looking yeah. good at and it. He was really good. He was really good at yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Th- those like games I, were not easy. 
No. I was like, oh, that's how you're supposed to play that game. Okay. He just knows the tracks <laughs> and turns before the turn. Okay, cool. Uh, and also, uh, remember when Vanity Fair dressed five drivers in those amazing oh clothes? <laughs> I forgot about that. Was Gasly was one, was it? Uh, it was Ocon, Ricardo, Norris. Uh, I've got the link here. I feel like I'm always looking at Gasly wearing something ridiculous. Uh, Russell. Okay. And Gasly. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna post that in the in the show notes in case in case <laughs> you missed it. Oh man. All right. Pierre Gasly wearing like the French striped shirt. Beautiful. Oh, just in case you didn't just... know where he was from, Pierre. Daniel Ricardo with this like satin pink mechanics uniform with one pant leg tucked into a sock. Love it. Hey, look, he turned oh. up at the Austin GP again with uh with the, the handlebar mustache and the riding a horse. It's true. It's true. Uh all right. Well, how about looking ahead? Next year, we've got we also have a new track, Vegas, as you mentioned. No Paul mm. Ricard. Yes. Danny. Love it. Thank you. Exciting. God, my prayers have been answered. I guess it'll, you know, uh I will be anxiously watching to see if what happens with those top three? Can Mercedes turn it around? What happens to Ferrari now that Bonato is out? Uh, we've got some new faces in there. Nick DeVries, uh, Logan Sargent. Yeah. Um, What's the vibe at Red Bull like? Yeah. No, What's Danny's the vibe the at Haas? Yeah. What's, yeah, Haas. We they got, got the, they got Hulkenberg, Hulkenback, uh, and uh, <laughs> they've got a sponsor now. They might actually have money from MoneyGram. Moneygram, nice. Their new sponsor to to do some things. Maybe a new livery. Maybe Who there'll knows? be a commercial where Kevin Magnuson and Nico Hulkenberg are sitting down to dinner and then they get a big ball of profiteroles and Magnuson asks him if he wants to suck his balls, mate. <laughs> Moneygram comes up on the screen. I'm just giving these ideas out for free, yeah. folks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Any any anything else uh, looking ahead, Danny? I am completely <laughs> sorry, broken, Rob. I am I am I am I am so I was so my expectations coming into this year. I feel like were kind of all over the place, and they were shattered by what happened. Like they were not any. It was not what I thought would happen. So I am being very trepidatious in my sort of leanings. I think I'm going in with an open heart and just hoping that we have some sort of competitiveness somewhere i mean it was an interesting fight we had interesting fights in the mid pack this year like there was some jet went down to the final race for a lot of the you know from sort of like third down to the fight to seventh we had like a whole um good little couple of battles there we had battles between different drivers like perez and leclerc and stuff like that i think especially for this f1 crowd not having a, a fight at the top is something they're not used to um i i would hope that there is another team that could compete with Red Bull or that Checo has a real like sort of sit down staring at the fire winter and then comes back looking for a fight. I I don't think that will happen. But, you know, he is kind of getting to the end of his season and he is entering YOLO territory, you know what I mean, for his career. So... <laughs> I don't think I'm not sure if he has the pace. I'm not sure if the team is behind well, him that side of the garage but necessarily. This is but one way we get like you though that. is with the cost cap. They can always say, "Well, sorry, we didn't have money to upgrade 
Checo's car right. as much, et cetera. We had to prioritize the one driver. Uh, spent it all on Daniel. Which, by the way, I am like, you know, I do worry if that becomes a, does the cost cap end up making it easier for teams to enforce like rigid rigid team hierarchy just by like, oh, well, yeah, we didn't have the, we didn't have the good kit for both drivers. Uh, ergo, we right. kind of have to, to back the guy at the front. But yeah, I, I think, you know, it was, the the weird thing to think about is the nature of F1 is you don't have to change like too many results that much before like the, the championship is takes on a completely different cast. Like, yes, Max ran away with this thing from like July into October. He basically was untouchable, like won, won everything. Uh, that's tough to repeat. It's not impossible. But like even Ferrari, you know, we remember like a like, you know, six, seven years of like absolutely untouchable Ferrari dominance that's not really the case right like it was like they had a couple seasons where they completely crushed everyone and then a couple more where they like you know won but it's it's rare that you see this kind of uh domination and so it doesn't it doesn't take too many of those results to suddenly flip to like a dnf here uh fifth sixth place here before suddenly you have a much more competitive championship like i i don't expect a repeat of this year, mostly because like, you know, for all that F1 tends to reward the winners and the rich get richer uh, in this sport, it is tough to follow on a, a year like this with another one. I I would still say like Max is my favorite for the championship next year. Yeah. But do I think it will be a thing where we can basically say, well, that's a wrap. Let's check out what's happening in IndyCar uh, by by the time Labor Day rolls around. No, I don't think that's that's going to be the case. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, I think I think Red Bull will struggle to repeat that form. I think, you know, Mercedes is scrapping their concept for the, for the car. I think they they, have, they stand a decent chance of coming back. And I do feel like Ferrari has been left in in a pretty good position. Uh, you know, I think the the effects of letting go of Bonato probably will be felt more around like two, three years out, I, I would say, more than like immediately uh, if they get a decent, decent team principal in there. So I don't know. It's possible that we have a we do have a, a, a really good season next year. Um, I would still. Yeah, I would still tip Red Bull as the favorite. But uh, I, I think one thing I feel confident looking forward to is at least a more dynamic championship. Yeah. Yeah, same here. And Ferrari, uh, well, F1.5 F1. is pretty lit. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, unless anyone has anything else, um, I think that's a wrap for season 2022 of Formula One and of this podcast. Uh, we will be back uh, next um month with a patreon bonus episode uh for uh december january every month uh until uh the season starts and i guess as as the season continues um but uh yeah we'll probably do a uh we have been doing off season news updates in the kind of the gap uh before the uh the season comes back so if there's some news we'll probably do one of those uh, so be on the lookout for that. You can follow us at Shift F1 Podcast for as long as Twitter is alive. Uh, I'm at Drew Scanlon. <laughs> at Danny O'Dwyer is at Danny O'Dwyer. At Rob Zachney is at Rob Zachney. Um, and uh, yeah, final final thoughts, Danny. Yeah. Um, 
Thank you to everyone who listened and thank you to Drew for all the work he does behind the scenes to keep this thing going every week and to Rob for uh, joining us all those years back. I know it sounds silly at this stage to keep mentioning that when you've been with us for far longer than you weren't. But um, for as much as this season was somewhat entertaining sometimes and somewhat not entertaining other times i always enjoyed it because i knew i got to come and chat to you guys about it during the week and that is what makes it fun i think is sport can be fun but talking about it with your mates is kind of the the best part of it and uh that's why i love doing this is because it just makes the keep makes the sport fun even when it's not so fun so thank you and thanks to everyone for joining us for another year as well hope you felt similar Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, final thoughts, Rob? Yeah, uh, I think, you know, this would have been a year where, uh, you know, I, I would not have enjoyed F1 nearly as much if not for the opportunity to come shoot the shit about it and sort of laugh at its ridiculousness, uh, even when <laughs> the races, like, were not the most interesting. Uh, like, I was still, I still, like, enjoyed the season in part because it, like, always provided such a, a fun canvas for these conversations uh, and and doing the show. Yeah, well said. Uh, Well, if you would like to support the show and get access to all those bonus episodes and the official Shift F1 Discord uh, who can help you uh, in your long F1-less nights in the winter to come, (laughs) uh, you can do so over at patreon.com slash shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next time. Yeah.